The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, Court TV anchor Ted Rollins joins me with updates on two big legal stories, the delayed sentencing of Molly Tibbetts' murderer, Christian Rivera, and the efforts to end the Britney Spears conservatorship. Plus, we'll preview the latest trial on Court TV, the mistaken rideshare murder trial. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Court TV Podcast, downloading, listening, and supporting us. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, the 100th Court TV Podcast. We're now in the Centurion Club. We're here to stay, apparently, and uh, so thankful for your support. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at several different cases that we're working on at, at Court TV. And the first one involves a trial that we covered already. Okay, we covered it. Gavel to gavel, cameras, microphones in the courtroom. The jury deliberated. They came back and they delivered their verdict. And it was guilty. Christian Rivera convicted of murdering Molly Tibbetts. Molly Tibbetts, college student who went running, went for a jog in Brooklyn, Iowa, disappeared. They found her in a cornfield. There was a list of suspects. They eliminated all of them. And then the person who brought them to her body in the cornfield was the one charged and convicted of her murder. He testified in his own defense at trial. The jury didn't believe him, did not believe his story was reasonable. They convicted him beyond any and all reasonable doubt. Christian Rivera, the killer of Molly Tibbetts, convicted of her murder but it seems like the story's just starting now because now the defense has made a motion for a new trial based upon not a mistake made during the trial but newly discovered evidence that they say reveals molly tibbetts real killers someone else is confessing to this has admitted to this and they want to bring all this evidence in and get Christian Rivera a new trial so they can put this new evidence in front of a new jury to raise a reasonable doubt. And, and that is, and this is big. This does not happen that often. This rarely happens, especially like right after the trial. We just had the trial. He was just convicted. And now all of a sudden the defense says, well, wait, 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 wait. We've got some newly discovered evidence. Let me bring in my friend, my colleague, Court TV anchor, Ted Rollins. Ted, um, I, I always take these things with a, a grain of salt because, you know, that's their job is to raise issues. Um, but here they've taken it to it's, it's at a different level because we're they're naming names and, and, and pointing fingers specifically. And a very different story that they're telling now than what was told during the trial. Well, the defense is saying that it is the same story-ish. Um, that the ish, ish. <laughs> and by the way, it's an honor to be with you on your hundredth podcast. The this is this is, is it, saying, Ted. Ted, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to enjoy number one hundred with with anyone else but you. <laughs> Thank you. It is an honor. So. The defense is saying, listen, when Christian Bahena Rivera got on the stand and testified on his own behalf, starting that night, we were picking up some uh, information from 
folks that are incarcerated saying, I know the real story. Fast forward, they get another independent um, story told to them about these two other people that uh, possibly are involved. So they're doing their job. They're saying, hey, judge, listen, we have this information. And in our estimation, it actually works with the story that the defendant told on the stand. And that was that he was minding his own business. Two fellas walk into his, his house and take him and make him deposit Molly Tibbetts' body in a cornfield and leave him there. The story didn't sound like it had uh, any uh, truth to it when he was on the stand because it was so outlandish. But the defense attorneys, and you could tell the trial, they absolutely believe in their client. And now they have this information. They're going through the process. To me, um, you know, it, it's interesting enough. What if there's a, there, there is, there's a, there is a chance, right? There is a chance that there's something there. So you have to pursue it. They have to pursue it. And I think the state of Iowa needs to, I'll lose some of the attitude in pursuit as well. Well, uh, and Ted, I want to just pick up on a few uh, word choices that you had there in your in your uh, soliloquy there. Um, folks and fellas, you refer to, yeah, some folks, some fellas. You mean criminals, okay? You're talking about criminals, people who are behind bars. Um, and and then you you quoted, I think, the movie Dumb and Dumber, didn't you, at the end there and said, and and there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. So let's do let's do this for everyone at home. Let's and and I think that Christian Rivera's attorneys are extremely passionate. I believe they work hard. Um, and I, I will not criticize them uh, personally for what they're doing. As a matter of fact, I've said on the air, I think it's an amazing love story. Uh, they're a husband and wife. And some of the the back and forth, if you watch them, uh, I think these two are really, really um they're they're in sync and and I'm, I, I admire them. That doesn't mean I have to believe this malarkey that they're putting forth. Here's here's um, uh, <laughs> the what they actually put on the record in court, so you can understand this newly discovered uh, evidence that they believe they have. After Christian Bahena testified, two people came forward. One person's name was Arnie Mackey. That man is in a conference room adjacent to this courtroom. Arnie Mackey, after listening to Christian Bahena Rivera testify at trial, realized that Mr. Bahena Rivera's statements corroborated a statement by another inmate that he resided with at the Keokuk County Jail. That inmate's name is Gavin Jones. Gavin Jones admitted to Arnie McKee that he and another gentleman were the killers of Molly Tibbetts. He also admitted to Mr. McKee that there was a trap house that was involved and that Molly Tibbetts was abducted for the purposes of sex trafficking. Okay, I, I listen to that and and I and I hear it and I understand this is a very this is a, this is a, this is a twist. Now, the defense is saying this is consistent with what um, Arnie McKee heard from the testimony of Christian Rivera, but it's not Ted. And, and this is where, this is where I have a problem. Okay. So Christian Rivera 
uh, when he was first questioned by police, uh, confessed. Part of that confession was thrown out. Part of it came in. It was used at the trial. Then during the course of the trial, he put, you know, he swore to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, told another story. And that story became story number two of the defense. Now we're on story number three, which, again, is not wholly consistent with Rivera's testimony. Now, if anyone should know what happened, it should be uh, Christian Rivera, the defendant, right? And he testified very specifically that he was abducted. He walked out of his shower. Uh, he didn't he, he, he didn't mention whether or not he had clothes on or not, but he walked out of the shower and there were two sweater guy, sweater-wearing men uh, with masks in his home who abducted him at gunpoint, made him drive around. They drove around. They saw Molly Tibbetts jogging, and that's when she was killed. This news story has Molly Tibbetts being abducted, placed into a trap house, bound and gagged, and, and, and not taken off the street and killed immediately like he testified to. So, Ted, these are not consistent stories. Well, they're not, but they're also not complete stories, right? You've got this Arnie McKee telling the story about what his Sally apparently said, and... Um, we, so, so there's more investigation that needs to be done, I believe, don't you, to get the whole story and possibly the rest of the story? Investigation by whom, though, is the question. Well, um, the defense we had is a willing trial. to do we the had... investigation. They're just asking for a little bit of help with some materials that have already been collected from the state of Iowa from prosecutors. And and what is that stuff related to? It's not re- it, it, it's a it's what we call a fishing expedition, Ted. Yes. They they they're looking for anything possible. And and it's no longer the state's obligation at this point. If they have information that is exculpatory, yes, you give it up, but um if there is nothing out there, if it's just them looking for something and saying, well, yeah, this is related to that be and, and trying to tie together pieces that aren't necessarily related. I mean, it couldn't have been clearer at the trial that Christian Rivera had a story. This story is not consistent with that. This story is about a trap house. This story is about sex trafficking. Christian Rivera's story, well, the first one was a confession to the murder, okay? His second story, which was the one at at trial, which is what the, the defense was arguing to this jury was the truth at the time, was that he was abducted and and Molly Tibbetts was taken off the street as she was jogging. It had nothing to do with sex trafficking. There's no trap house involved. There's nothing but a poor college girl jogging, being abducted and murdered and then thrown into a cornfield uh, by the defendant. So what I've heard you say this many times, that a prosecutor's job is to search for the truth. So what's the harm in helping find for sure the truth? What if you're if the state is so convinced, which. I know they are. You could, they're very convinced of it, as are you. Then what's the harm of saying, all right, sure, they can we'll work something out where there could, you know, they could look at some of this material from these other missing persons cases. And uh, and then we're done with it. And then we can move on and we can all sleep better at night. What does Molly Tibbetts have to do with other missing person cases? It, it is it's a very That's what they want to know. Nothing. It has nothing to either either Molly Tibbetts is taken off the street as Christian Rivera said twice, okay? 
first in his confession, second in his testimony. Either she's jogging, as we saw in the video of her jogging, being followed by Rivera in his car, as we saw on the video, and is taken off the street at that moment and killed and then placed in a cornfield. Okay, it has nothing to do with the sex trafficking. The truth is the truth. The, the jury spoke of the truth. The, the evidence, even if you listen to the defendant himself, the defendant himself, the story, the, the confession and the second story have one consistent fact, and that is Molly Tibbetts is jogging, Christian Rivera is driving, he follows her, she is then abducted, placed in the trunk, and then put in the cornfield. That is consistent through his confession and his story that he said at trial. All right, but I, but I will give you this. There, there is something weird going on with this Gavin Jones, because apparently Gavin Jones may have uh, said something to to a second person unrelated to McKee, which is a woman named Lindsay Voss. Let's take a listen. At the same time, Mr. Bahena Rivera is testifying. Later on that afternoon, Mr. McKee comes forward. And within hours, another witness, that witness's name is Lindsay Voss. Lindsay Voss also indicates that the same man, Gavin Jones, that she was his girlfriend and that Gavin Jones admitted to killing Molly Tibbetts. Okay, so here's what you do, Ted. This has nothing to do with all these other uh, abductions that are taking place or or perhaps taking place in, in Iowa. This is about... Gavin Jones, Arnie McKee, Lindsey Voss coming forward and testifying. Throw a subpoena at him. Bring him in your motion for a new trial. Say this is newly discovered evidence. Put him on the witness stand. See what they say. Have the judge judge their credibility and make a call. But to, to, to try to connect this to something else that is a fishing expedition to me is beyond the the obligations of any prosecutor who's already convicted someone of murder who has confessed to the murder. I mean, it would be a unless ne- Gavin Jones is what they would they believe unless Gavin Jones is also a suspect in these other disappearances, specifically a, another young woman that was abducted off the streets in this rural area of Iowa and, and forced to. Um, She was prostituted, basically, according to her story, um, at this trap house. Uh, And then there's also a missing youngster that um, is being investigated. And what the defense is saying, hey, can we just can we just see if there's any investigative um, routes that have taken you towards Gavin Jones in these? And, yeah, I get it. It is a fishing expedition. And the judge was likely right in his ruling not to compel. But there is still a part of me that thinks why doesn't everyone want just want the truth? Well, number one, the investigation into that missing boy, uh, Xavier Harrelson, is is still ongoing. And they don't want to release information in an ongoing investigation that has not been solved yet. Number two, they, they there's no indication that they are, in fact, connected. first, you got to connect these people to Molly Tibbetts before we start getting and going all the way off the off the ranch here connected to Molly Tibbetts you want a new trial explain to the judge why you deserve a new trial well apparently you've got the names of the alleged uh, real killers here so have a hearing focused on that then if you get a new trial 
at that point, then maybe start sending out some more subpoenas to try to get information related to these these other cases if you think it's all connected. But at the end of the day, you are basically saying that your client lied. He just keeps lying because it's completely inconsistent. This is a it's not a small inconsistency. This is a big inconsistency. There's someone being abducted off of the street versus someone being held in a trap house, bound and gagged for sex trafficking. And then when you get deeper into that story, Ted, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, is that the case was getting too big and the feds, the heat was on. Uh, the feds were next door, so we, we couldn't sex traffic her, so we had to murder her and pin it on a random Hispanic person. That's the story. We're going to pin it on. And then don't forget his testimony in the trial as well of Christian Rivera, that there was someone in the car. One of the abductors is named Jack. Okay. One of them is named Jack. And and none of the suspects named here are named Jack. So it, it just seems that it's an evolving defense based upon uh, the, the most recent available information, Ted. I, that's just the way I see it. I'm just trying to be uh, a little common sense about this. And you're absolutely right. Uh, most likely there is a sliver of potential for this other scenario. And I would just like to see it investigated fully. And then everyone can move on and send Christian Bahena Rivera away if there's no there there. Yeah. And the other thing that really um, makes me question some of this is that no one comes forward until after his testimony, right? Like the, the, the testimony of Lindsey Voss or the alleged statement of Lindsey Voss is that her boyfriend told her that he, in fact, killed Molly Tibbetts. And it was super high. It was the most high profile case, like the biggest search in the history of Iowa. So she knew that this was a big deal uh, before coming forward. So I, I, there's, some, there's something weird going on. But it has nothing to do, uh, from my perspective, with the real killers. Uh, we've got the real killer. So what's the motivation for Lindsay Voss coming forward when she comes forward then? And, and independently, this Arnie McKee has told generally the same story, both pointing the figure again. I don't know. She's watching it. She's sitting there watching this guy testify, and she says, ah, i got to tell somebody because I feel bad. I can't sit here and watch this guy go down when it was an abstract person. Then she didn't care, but she watched it and she was compelled and she told the truth. Right. He also had a bitter breakup with uh, Gavin Jones as well. Here, here's the thing about Gavin Jones. He may very well have said this. He may have said this. He may be bragging, trying to get some, I don't know what they call it in Iowa. Do they call it like cornfield credibility <laughs> or, or street cred? Whatever it is. Um, he may have said this, but at the end of the day, just because he says it uh, doesn't necessarily make it true, especially when all the forensic evidence and the videotape, the videotape point at Christian Rivera. But we'll see. We'll see what the judge does here. You know, there's going to be a hearing. Uh, we're going to cover it on Court TV, obviously. And we'll see if, in fact, uh, these folks come in and I say folks, these criminals come in to testify and, and, and whether or not the judge finds any of their testimony credible and perhaps gives Christian Rivera uh, another bite at the apple. We'll see. We'll find out right here on Court TV. Now, when we come back, Ted's going to stay with us. It is the 100th episode of the Court TV podcast. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about two more stories uh, that, we're, that we've been talking about. One, Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement, the latest in that uh, case. And also the brand new trial on Court TV. We'll be right back.
For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Britney Spears has not had control of her finances and her life since 2008. This is, I, 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 before these recent hearings in Los Angeles, where she's now uh, objecting to this conservatorship, I kind of knew something was going on, but I didn't know the, to the extent that uh, the, the control was there and how long it had actually been. I didn't pay much attention to it, but we're paying a lot of attention to it now uh, on, on Court TV. And it seems like this does not make a lot of sense to me. And it hasn't made a lot of sense to the guests that I've had on my show as well. We're talking about a conservatorship where um, someone else makes these life decisions for you. Someone else makes your financial decisions for you. And in the case of Britney Spears, her father, Jamie, who apparently they have some sort of a broken relationship, I think that's putting it mildly, has had control. Um, he has control over finances. Um, the the life part of it's kind of been split with another conservator. But um, she hasn't been. And this is a woman. She's not a little girl anymore. This is a woman who has made tens of millions of dollars, is living her life, has has worked a residency in Vegas, um, yet doesn't have full control over everything. And I, and I don't understand why. And I think a lot of people are with me on this in, in not understanding how since 2008 she's still in the same predicament after her her. Life sort of spiraled downward back in 2008. Uh, Ted Rollins, Court TV anchor, still with me. Ted, um, how up to speed were you on this before we started covering it on Court TV? Because I didn't pay close attention to it, despite the fact that I do follow Britney Spears on Instagram. The, you know, the free Britney uh, movement's been going on for a while. But you're right. This did, because we got to hear from her, right, during that that hearing and, and got an inside look into a little bit of her life from her, from her own mouth, you know, her words. And, and um, it's startling. You're absolutely right. How is it that she's in need of this handholding in every aspect of her life, yet she is able to get out and perform and make millions of dollars um, in front of people? It, it seemingly, um, she, I mean, she's, she, she looks completely normal when she's outperforming. So what's going on? What is going on behind closed doors? You know, this new attorney, Matthew Rosengart, you know, they're pushing hard to get rid of Jamie Spears, the, the father. Um, but there's something in me that thinks that dad, Jamie Spears, does, he has to have uh, the best interest of his daughter and, you know, it, it partially there. And I just can't believe he's the evil person that they're making him out to be. But to your point, it's so hard to figure this one out. It, it really is. And, you know, she may be having some, and she had issues. We know that for sure. And they may be continuing issues to what extent, I don't know. But at what point should a judge be making all the decisions about who controls your life? You know, that's the part that kind of, I think, rubs a lot of people the wrong way. We're, we're entitled to make millions and blow our money 
and and not be great with our money. We've seen that over and over again. Like and and, and ask any parent with with a child, a young child who's making some money. You know, you're a little concerned that they may not be smart with their money, whether it's, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is. You always feel like, you know, better what what your child should be doing with their money. Right. I mean, so where is that line? And when I always thought of conservatorships, I I think of people who are suffering from dementia, people who are in comas, people who cannot make any decisions, cannot even function on their own. Britney Spears can function on her own. You know, she may not make the best decisions, but ultimately, Ted, I'm a little uncomfortable with a judge deciding who makes the decisions in an adult's life who is not so um, so badly um, impacted by whatever's affecting her that she's you know can't function in life. She 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 does function to a certain extent. It's her money. It's her money. Right. You're right. If every eccentric person was going to be told which decisions they have to make on a daily basis, this would be a different world, and it would be a, a horrible place. And, and that. That is the knee jerk that I have as well, that this is wrong. I mean, let her make whatever horrible decision they fear she's going to make. And that's her decision. She is an adult. Um, What's the motivation? What don't we know? There's got to be something, right? There's got to be something that has kept us in existence. Or maybe what we're seeing is is, is the truth. She just had bad representation and people that even if they had her best interests in, at heart, um, were controlling a human being, an adult human being, and preventing her from living the life that she wants to live. And it is her life. It, it really is. And, and to me, the other part of all this is the inherent conflict of interest that exists in conservatorships, right? For the people who are uh, treating her, the people who are in control of, of her life and, and her money, um, if that person gets better, then they're out of a job. I mean, they're getting paid for it, right? So they, they make money for what they're doing, and they should make money because they're providing a service. I'm not saying they shouldn't make money, but to me, that's a conflict of interest that you're making money and it's somehow impacting the way the case is being perceived. So that's where the judge is supposed to step in and, and make the decisions as the person who does not have the conflict of interest. Um, but the judge will often rely upon the expertise, the, the testimony, and what is presented by the people who are controlling the um, person's life. So, you know, that's why up until this point, I don't think Britney Spears has had an advocate. She's had a lawyer who's looked out for her interest and her finances are in great shape because of, of all these decisions that have been made, et cetera. Um, but to me, that's not the end. It's not like, you know, the, the end goal to me is not to be in the best financial position, but it's to get the person to a point where they can function on their own and make their own decisions, good or bad, good or bad. And, and, and that is not happening. But I think with this new lawyer, Matthew Rosengard, he's an advocate, and I think he'll fight for her to be able to make her own choices. Those choices may end up bankrupting her, and I understand that. But that's her choice is her money. And isn't that the whole thing here? Is it, it, Let's say she was, um, you know, she had a job that, that made uh, you know, $100,000 a year. Her parents were concerned that she was blowing all her money and that she was making horrible decisions. 
Well, there's no court in America that would say, oh, well, let us help you out. Let's step in here and control your daughter um, and, and make sure she doesn't blow all of her paycheck. Now, the reason this is happening is because she's making tens of millions and the people around her don't want to lose that. They, oh, we got to do something. Look, Freddie's going to go off the rails. We need to save the money. Um, to your point, it's her money and it's her life. You know, and, and I watch her on Instagram and there are some videos that are a little bonkers, a little off the wall. Um, some that are very normal. She loves to dance. Uh, <laughs> and she, I mean, that's how she made her money. So why wouldn't she love to do that? Um, I, I just think that what Britney Spears ultimately needs is not someone making all these decisions for her, but her making the decisions uh, to hire. Does she want an advocate, a, a lawyer who will look out for her? She has that. A good financial advisor who's honest, right? Everyone in Hollywood uh, should have an honest, good financial advisor. And then uh, counseling, if she's having some issues, go to therapy like everyone else in Hollywood. I don't see how she's any different. Um, and again, well, I, don't- I, do, I do think there's some I think there's some documented um, episodes in her life that are a little different. I think she's at a different level um, than your average person who's struggling with fame and fortune living in Hollywood. I think she's um, at a different level, and that's how this all started. And it needs to likely end, but we'll see. It'll, it'll take its course. It'll run its course. And we will cover it on Court TV. The other thing I'd like to point out is we, we rarely um, see battles like this involving people who don't have tens of millions of dollars. Right. We don't see uh, you know, people stepping in to control someone who has nothing. Right. And that's probably and people in that position probably need more of that help. Um, but if there's no one to pay the bills, it becomes a little bit more difficult. All right. Finally, uh, Ted, I want to get to the uh, brand new trial that we're covering on Court TV, the mistaken rideshare murder trial. Samantha Josephson, college student down at the University of South Carolina um, in Columbia, goes out one night and does the incredibly responsible thing uh, that many young people do when it's time to go home. Um, I don't know if she had been drinking or not, but um, she called for a rideshare. And and there's a, a video of her that night in, in Columbia getting into a car. Unfortunately, that car was not her ride share. It was a car that belonged to uh, Nathaniel Rowland. Um, uh, no relation to Ted. Um, but he now has been charged with her murder. And that car, um, from the evidence being described by the prosecution, is the scene of the murder. So to me, this, this trial, Ted, really boils down to um, who was behind the wheel of that car. And that's the one thing you can't see on the video. And the one thing that Nathaniel Rowland, no relation, says uh, is wrong. He says, I wasn't the guy. Yes, my car. I was asleep at the time. Some guy, someone took my car. And I woke up. My keys are in it. There's blood all over. Um, and I, yes, I, I, I try to sell a cell phone that I saw in the front seat. Sure. Why not? Um, make some extra dollars. I didn't kill anybody. That's his story. How are we going to get that story out? Um, who knows? What I do know is there's a mountain of evidence against this young man, and there is a ton of empathy for the family of this beautiful young woman, Samantha Josephson. The idea, and you know, let's face it, what happened to her changed the way rideshares work now and has alerted everybody of the pitfalls. The person behind that wheel, whoever it was, was one of the most evil people on earth because it was a trap. It was a person going around pretending to be a ride share 
driver with child locks and acted in the back seat, and they pounced when they saw a woman coming out of a bar, and boom, gets her in the back. Can you imagine the horror that that young woman went through, realizing this wasn't the Uber, and she's being taken to a wooded area out 65 miles away. There are, her prints are on the back windshield. It is a horrific story. We cover a lot of bad stories, but this one, man, the victim, what the victim went through is straight out of a horror movie. It absolutely is. And you, you brought up a, a really important point uh, from my perspective when it comes to proving uh, the premeditation in this case and the planning, which is that the, as you mentioned, the child locks were engaged. And for folks who aren't familiar, maybe you don't have children, you never thought about it before. Um, when you open up your door on the little side, there's a little lever that you can put down that will uh, disengage the door from opening from the inside. And and it's basically a safety feature because if you have children, young children who like to open the door, you can engage this lock, which cannot be disengaged while the car is driving and and while the door is closed. So the the doors don't work. So once you're in the back seat, you cannot open the back doors. It's kind of like, Ted, when you when you got picked up by police that time and they put you in the back of the police cruiser, you could not open those doors. (laughs) No. I didn't try. He didn't, didn't, didn't try. Yeah. But to- hey, no relation, right? Um, so, but you're right. And, and and think about the horror when she realized she tried. She, all right, first she realizes this isn't the Uber. He's not taking me home. Oh my gosh, the doors don't work. It is sinister beyond belief. And um, just uh, and for what? He, whoever did this stabbed her thirty times and took her ATM cards and cell phone oh it is horrible yeah and and it seems that robbery was the motive that robbery was the motive here and 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 you know you you try to figure out okay why would someone do this right and that's a question a jury always wants the answer to um this defendant's family during the uh, bond hearing spoke about his background and, and they said no way would he ever do this he would never do this and the, the question is, who is the person that did this and how dangerous are they? I mean, you're talking about the most dangerous. This is a, a predator. And, and the way you described it, Ted, was so accurate in what happened to Samantha Josephson that night. This, and this is why uh, Nathaniel Rowland did not get bond, uh, because of the, the danger to society, the potential danger, if in fact he's the one responsible for this. And the judge did not want to grant him any bond to let him out uh, while this case was pending. But now it'll be up to a jury to listen to this evidence. And it's going to be uh, difficult. It's going to be gruesome. Um, it's going to be a combination of, of uh, some forensic evidence. And you've also got this video. And, and to me, the video is, is, is compelling um, on many levels, because rarely do you see that moment that someone, um, you know, makes that that takes that step that leads to their death. And Samantha Josephson did did nothing wrong. She got into a car. The way it should have been solved is the person driving the car should have said, "Excuse me, excuse me, I'm not an I'm not an Uber driver." You know, oh, you've got the wrong car. But that did not happen, uh, and she ends up murdered. Uh, this is heartbreaking, uh, Ted. Because Samantha Josephson, everything we've heard about her is that she was a wonderful, wonderful person and and did nothing wrong and did not deserve what happened to her. Yeah. Senior in college. She did everything right. Like you said, she's out with her friends and decides she wants to go home, takes an Uber. Um, And um, this predator, unfortunately, 
was circling according to the uh, data from the cell phone that was extracted, extracted from his cell phone, um, circling around the five points area. This is this area of Charles uh, of um, Columbia, South Carolina, where there are other bars and restaurants. It's, it's the place. If you're going to look for someone to abduct with your Uber scam, that's the place in Columbia. And that's what the evidence seems to be showing. The defendant's story, um, you can kind of see where maybe, okay, see where he's going with it. But how is he going to explain the fact that his phone is circling around this area and then his phone and her phone together are moving together 65 miles away to this rural area, which, oh, just so happens to be two miles from his family's home. Yeah, it's it's problematic uh, for the defense. The And he's, the, the argument's going to have to be that he passed out. Someone took his car, took his keys, took his cell phone, committed this crime, and then he got into the car and discovered all this and then gets pulled over by police and panics and runs away. I mean, all of it's pointing in one direction. But as we know, Ted, we've learned this lesson many times in covering trials on, on court TV and other places that you never know what's going to happen at trial. Uh, cases can take in, uh, um an unexpected turn and twist. So we shall see. Ted Rollins, Court TV anchor. Thank you so much, Ted. Great to have you on the 100th episode of the podcast. Congratulations, Vinny. All right. When we come back, folks, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why this trial is going to be so incredibly difficult for the family of Samantha Josephson. And, and all trials are, but this one especially so. That's next. Renowned journalist Ashley Banfield takes you behind the scenes of the most compelling cases in history. This is the new chapter in true crime. Judgment with Ashley Banfield. All new episodes, Sunday nights at 8 on Court TV. For the family of any victim, going through the process of our criminal justice system is extremely difficult. It's torture. It's, it's oftentimes cold. It's oftentimes heartless. There are victims advocates uh, that work for prosecutor offices uh, uh, and DA offices around the country that try to help victims through it all. And they do, uh, they do a great job. Uh, but it's not easy. And for the family of Samantha Josephson, this is going to be even more difficult because um, this trial, they've got to come in from out of town. They're not from South Carolina. They're going to be traveling to, into town. And they're not going to be able to go home. Um, I don't know how many friends they'll have around them supporting them through this trial. They may have some in town. But not what, not the same support system that most families have when they, when they have to go through this, when they can go home at night Um and have some level of normalcy, and, and it's not going to happen uh, for Samantha's family. They've got to travel from out of, so this is going to be this is going to be everything. They're going to live and breathe this excruciating trial. And during the course of trials, remember all the all the information that comes out. I mean, the details of what happened and how it happened, what wounds Samantha suffered. There'll be autopsy photos. There'll be descriptions. Um, it's going to be horrific, horrific. Um, 
And for many of these families, you, you know, there's a couple of different ways they go about it. Um, some of them will step out of the courtroom during certain moments in a trial that they just can't bear to be there and they don't want to have any sort of a moment or a, a breakdown that could somehow impact the trial because you, you don't want to do the trial again. Um, and that may be the way they go. I've seen that many times before. And other families uh, stay in the courtroom through it all, incredibly strong and stoic. And and for each victim's family, I think they have to choose their own route on how they can handle and deal with this. Uh, but I can't imagine this because, you know, you send your child away to college because that's like the transition period, right? You, you, you raise this uh, incredible uh, a girl, becomes a young woman, and then you send her off to college and you know, she's, you know, making her way, making her mark, developing into an adult. And then they, they she graduates college and it's time for her to start her life and and everything that, that she is going to do. And she never got to do that. And it all ended at that point. And that is just going to be hit home day in and day out inside that courtroom uh, for the family to understand the level of their loss. But it, it's important that they're there. When victims don't have uh, people in the courtroom there, the, the trial shifts focus and it becomes all about the defendant. But when the family is there, it becomes very obvious to everyone uh, what the trial is truly about. And, and this trial is about Samantha Josephson and, and what happened to her, um, how her life was taken. And we'll see if the jury believes that prosecutors got it right, that the evidence that they've gathered that they believe points in the one direction and one direction only is the correct direction. Uh, but I think with the family there, it, 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 it grounds the jury into the reality of what they're dealing with. It's not hypothetical. It's not just, oh, some person, some person, the victim. No, this is a, a real human being. There's her family. Here are the people that have suffered a loss um, that is indescribable. There can never be any closure to what happened. The only thing that they can get at the end of the day is a sense of justice by knowing that someone has been held responsible and that person will pay for what they did. And when I say pay, I mean, be held responsible. I mean, someone commits a horrific act like this, they need to be held responsible. So um, our thoughts, prayers are with that family as they go through this uh, difficult, difficult process in our criminal justice system. Uh, and that's the toughest part. It's always the toughest part for me uh, as an anchor when it's time to, whether I was a, a correspondent, you know, speaking to them during the course of the trial. Um, how do you approach them? How do you make this easier for them? Sometimes when I speak to family members during the course of the investigation or during the course of the trial or after the trial, um, I always want to ask them if this, if this helps them. And, and, and I think for some to talk helps and for some it doesn't. They each choose their own route. Um, but keep them in your mind as, as, as you watch the evidence. And I know we get into the forensics at Court TV, the proof, the evidence, um, the legal arguments and everything else. Uh, but I think everyone has to keep in the front of their minds ultimately what, what this trial and others are all about. And it's about an incredible, incredible loss of life and trying to find out what happened, why it happened, and hold that person responsible.
All right. I'm Vinny Politan. Again, thank you so much for supporting the Court TV podcast. Uh, 100 episodes seems just like yesterday we started this and uh, we will continue uh, to take you inside the world of crime and justice. And don't forget Court TV, not just a podcast, but it is a an entire television network. Uh, CourtTV.com as well exists. But the network every day, we're inside courtrooms and every night I'm bringing you the biggest moments from the biggest cases around the country. Uh, if you have a, a digital antenna, as always, rescan it so you make sure you get the uh, Court TV signal. Uh, you can check our show notes here for links to other uh, pieces of information related to all the stories that we talked about. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.